They teach you not to substitute words for action, not to seek the path of comfort, but to face the stress and spur of difficulty and challenge. Welcome to the Ironclad Podcast, coming to you from the compound right here on the Atlantic Seaboard, Virginia Beach, Virginia. Today, I am your host, Andrew Lane. I'm a shooter, editor, photographer uh, here at Ironclad, and I also typically produce the podcast. But today, we're going to do something a little different. We're excited about the new year, which brings new initiatives, new opportunities, and we're really looking forward to this year's podcast. We have an incredible set of guests. They'll be shedding some light, dishing out gold nuggets of knowledge on technology, industry, business, life in general. So to kick this year off, we thought it would be interesting to first take some time, reflect on the journey that got us here, the story of Ironclad Media Alliance. So to do that, today we have the two founding members of Ironclad here, Jeremy Carey, our fearless leader, director, and typical Ironclad podcast host, and Danny McCusker, our senior DP and editor. How's it going, guys? Hey, hey. Good, good. Thanks for having us. (laughs) Hey, you know, you're welcome. You're welcome. So I'm a little bit newer here, and I don't even know if I've heard the story sort of from start to finish. So maybe just in your own words, tell us a little bit about how things got started. So to make a a super, super long story short, essentially, I had a background in entrepreneurship with some action sports stuff, clothing, and we did a lot of video work to promote that stuff. Um, Danny's background was was freelance shooting and shooting for CBN. He was on the road traveling the country, traveling the world for that matter. Uh, We crossed paths on a couple freelance projects. We hit it off and I was continuing to hustle more projects and would bring Danny on whenever I could. And we started really, really with humble beginnings. You know, we're shooting on a 7D and just grabbing whatever work we could. And eventually we got enough work to go full time. And one thing led to another. We just had our head down the whole time trying to be better and make a global impact. That was our goal from day one, is to be doing projects on a global scale. So it's been about seven-ish years, and um, we started with just me and him doing small local gigs, and now we have 13 full-time employees here in Virginia Beach and traveling the world regularly. That's amazing. I mean, it's amazing because you're working with some of the best companies and folks in the world now. I mean, Under Armour, Outdoor Research, Reebok, Mechanics Gloves, Vortex Optics, Daniel Defense Rifles. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. When you started, did you know that you were going to be working with those companies, you know, seven years later? It's funny you ask that. I don't think in my head, and maybe Danny does, but like in my head, it wasn't, we're going to be working with the companies you just listed. It wasn't that, but it was, we're going to be doing big things. And that was kind of always the the mentality and it's still the mentality, right? Like we're never satisfied with where we are. We're content with our momentum, but we're not content with where we are on that path. Right? So the, the trail from action sports to it, it went, it went action sports to uh, tactical to outdoor, to adventure, to travel and all everything in between, you know, it was just kind of a natural progression in, in those 
literally it was kind of in that order right there. Um, and it was just by over delivering, pleasing someone, it getting past word of mouth to someone else and vice versa. And it just kept going and going and going and going domino effect. So I don't think it was ever in my head, at least we're going to be working with this brand, this brand, this brand, and this brand, but it was, we want to be working with the best minds on the planet. We want to be working with the best brands on the planet. And we want to be going into original content, partnering with the best distribution sources in the planet. So that yes, has been the big vision, but the, how we get there has kind of been a whirlwind. That's awesome. It wasn't anything overnight, meaning that after Ironclad started, it was about two, two and a half years until Jeremy and I could do Ironclad full time. You know, um, it's just, it is amazing. It is really surreal uh, looking at where we are today and then thinking back of where we came from. So you guys both had sort of uh, interests early on. You both went to film school. You met and started working together on some projects. You know, what did you, what was your sort of thought process? Like, where did you want to end up? You know, tell me a little bit about like what your thoughts were when you guys actually started Ironclad. Where did you think it was going to go? I've always kind of had the mentality of, of just doing, you know, it's always just kind of been something that's been, I've been fortunate enough to, to have instilled in me when I was, since I was young. And when we first started Ironclad, I don't think I had a vision of exactly where we'd be, but I just knew I already accepted that it was successful and that we were moving and that we were going to make a global impact. Um, you know, from day one, no matter what project we took on, we've always put everything into it to make it the best it could possibly be. And we've, we've just taken that mentality and taken opportunities to get to the next level and the next level and the next level. So I think that has always been instilled in everyone here and it shows in the chapters as we grow. It's something that we're still doing to this day. I think a lot of people have a perception of us, um, but our perception of ourselves is just constant growth and pushing and pushing and pushing and we're not there. Yeah, and I and I totally love that aspect of Ironclad and one of the things that really attracted me to y'all in, in the first place was obviously the excellent work that you guys do, but how you guys are always pushing to that to get to that next level, that next um, threshold, you know, and I and I think that is something that's really inspiring to me, and I and I hope is inspiring to everyone that works here. Tell me a little bit about some of those lessons that that you guys have learned since you guys started. So you know, I think I've learned on multiple fronts with Ironclad because I've had to learn as a leader on how to lead a team. I've had to learn as a business person on how to manage capital and sales and everything else, and then I've learned as a filmmaker in all of which any lesson I've learned has come from a mistake, right? So I think the one that's the most consistent throughout is things don't work out as I planned when I have lack of ownership in those. So if I have lack of ownership in my leadership or if I have lack of ownership in my communications or anything else, that's when things happen. And it's not because if I, if I don't communicate properly to a team member about DIT or budget or anything else and something happens, it's not that person's fault. It's my fault, right? So I've learned that in every aspect of Ironclad from business to filmmaking. When I stop owning a situation and pass the buck for someone else to deal with, 
that's when things happen. So that doesn't mean that I want to micromanage, but it, what, it, what it means is that I have to facilitate others to succeed. So if I don't give the tools that someone needs, then it's my fault, right? And, and I, I have done that over and over again in different aspects of things. So I, I know it's kind of a broad thing, but... Yeah, taking ownership of your mistakes is the primary way that you can actually learn from them. If you don't take ownership of them, then you can always put the, the mistake outside of yourself and you don't have to learn from it. And I think that that's something that Ironclad applies across the board. And we, or at least we try to, we try to apply that concept of taking ownership because that sets the foundation, the, the framework, the groundwork to actually learn from that mistake. I think, you know, we've learned lessons on a uh, micro and a macro level, you know, and we can kind of talk about either ones, but I think the consistent lesson is doing things right and doing it right, not only for the product, but also for the people you work with and the people that work for you. You know, I think over and over and over, I know I have learned as a leader to do it right and to take the extra steps. And that means with communication, that means with contracts, that means with quality of, of product, brands we work with everything because we've learned so many times. Well, what I say is like a smart person is just someone who's made a lot of dumb mistakes, you know, and, and we have been fortunate enough to learn from our dumb mistakes or see dumb mistakes in the industry happen and learn from other people. So I think that's the biggest consistency is like constant improvement and constantly pushing to do things right. I, I Maybe Danny can speak more on that, but that's going to. We pretty much mean it's just going above and beyond essentially, you know, we had to do that from the beginning, and we still do that today. I, I don't think – I mean, it was just across the board we tried to implement that. Yeah. You know, outside of mistakes, we are doing what we love. There has to be some funny stories, some stories of, you know, something funny happening on set or in a project. You know, I, people always love to hear these, and I know that I do. I remember you. I wasn't on this particular shoot, but we're shooting for – I think it was Vortex Optics, and you're in, in Texas, and you're shooting in this old, um, was it an old paper mill or something like that? Yeah, it was this abandoned paper mill, but you'd have thought it was abandoned for 200 years. So the paper mill, I don't, I don't know, I think it was something like a million square foot, and it was like five levels, uh, five stories tall, and they gave us this big safety brief above uh, beforehand, and they were like, hey, be careful. There's holes where the big vats used to go through from floor to floor to floor, they're covered by old dingy plywood. This place was condemned and the SWAT team had let us in. So, you know, they gave us this big safety brief. Um, throughout the whole day, there's this film, this, this, this inch layer of film on the entire floor. So you, if, even if there was a hole, you couldn't tell because it was filled with water and then there was a, a, a layer of film above it. So it just looked like one sheet of, of film across the entire place. So... It's towards the end of the day. We're upstairs filming um, one of the last shots there, and we hear this. It sounded like someone had threw a cinder block off the, the roof into a pond. And we just kind of, well, that was weird, you know. And then we hear this guy go, yo. And we look down, and our gaffer, or we had hired a freelance gaffer, he had fallen in this vat of nasty green soot. With all his lights and everything, he said he was just walking along and wasn't paying attention. He fell and gulped the big gulp of this nasty stuff. He said he thought that he had fallen and went straight to hell. <laughs> but anyway, it was the worst, man. Uh, 
he really could have. I mean, he could have knocked his head down there and died. We'd have never known. But when we went down there and with the flashlights, there was like a shape of his body cut out in the film in that nasty water. And uh, later that night, we saw him. He came to the hotel to pick up some batteries or something. And uh, he said he was going to go drink 30 beers to, to kill off anything that he had swallowed. But I don't know if we ever even paid him. I think he, I, we never heard from him again. Oh, that's, that, that is scary but hilarious. Danny's fallen in the water like four times. It shoots too. Mm-hmm. I've fallen I don't know how many times. It's, just, it's just my expertise, I guess. <laughs> it's not the only thing that's fallen in the water from Ironclad either. Yeah, we've, we've had some gear – issues yeah kevin was on a boat once right with the movie Kevin was on a boat he uh he dipped the movie in, in icy cold water i movie <laughs> with the red on it and then the movie shut down or the red shut down and we're like what happened to the red it won't work he's like oh no <laughs> and uh we get back to the compound and, and play the content and literally you see him hanging over the boat. You see the content. You see the video of, of him, like, the, the camera, like, chilling above the water. Then you see it dunk in. <laughs> then he, like, grabs the lens and looks up at it like, uh. So oh, he, he, he dipped it in salt water. Wow. Kevin almost got speared by an elk, right? Yeah, he's almost been speared by an elk. He's been bit by dogs. Yeah. The, the um. uh the the movie just looks a little threatening to animals we think <laughs> so it is it is pretty pretty ominous looking and especially if you don't know what it is it 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 is a little you get some real real stares from people sometimes when you're walking through a busy street and you just have that weird kind of apparatus out luckily a lot of people know what they are now but i think definitely when they first you first got first were breaking them out and using them they were look like spaceships yeah and on that note, you guys hold tightly to this idea. You know, Ironclad started on a 7D. Like anything, you know, you work hard, anything is possible. And that's totally, absolutely true. And it's never been more true than in the past. But right now we have amazing technology partners. We love tech. We we work really closely with, with some amazing brands. What is that, that journey like, you know, from those humble beginnings and making it work to where now we have some incredible technology that we're working with? What's the what was that journey like? Yeah, I think the the hustle mentality is make it happen, right? With what you have, but the constant improvement mentality is use the best that's available, right? So from day one, we we would always analyze our our projects and still do. Uh, how can we make this better? How can we make this better? And we knew in order to be the best, you have to use the best, right? So it, it was a lot like with our our projects and and the trajectory of our growth was. We set goals and we execute on it. We knew when we had enough, we wanted the first thing we needed was a red. That was what we knew was going to take us, our content to the next level. Then we started looking at that and we knew, oh man, now we need better glass. What's going to take you to the next level? Better glass. Okay. And then we looked at that and then the, the movie came out and we're like, wow, a stabilizer that can take it to the next level. And then it just was one of those things where when we when we analyze now we do it on a big scale we we look at our end of the year budget and and where are we lack and all these different things but on a grassroots level it was how can we make this that much better and it made sense to al- align with the right companies to get us to that spot right um and make those investments on the front end and 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 why we say we use the best is because one it it, it shows 
and the product. But two, if you're pushing yourself and you're doing things and demanding extreme hours and extreme elements and everything else from yourself when you're creating this content, you're you can't let your gear hold you back. Your gear has to be able to keep up. So it pays so much. I can't tell you enough how much it pays to have free fly rather than than DJI. I can't tell you how much it pays to have red rather than black magic or any of these things where you can push these things to the limits. And not only that, if something does happen, if you have a, a legit company that you buy from, they'll stand by it. All those things matter because if you're down, your cash flow is down, your business is down, it's not good. And it's not good as even if, even if it wasn't money, even if money wasn't an issue because now you're not creating content and someone else is creating content and they're going to get opportunities before you. So that that's why it's so important to have the, the right brands. Yeah. And, and just how we operate too, you know, we consider ourselves a small elite team. Um, you know, we go in and get it done and with our gear – you know, I love putting a uh, comparison of, you know, our gear held up in Death Valley with the 120 degree weather and then also in negative 30 degree weather in Jackson Hole, you know. So it's just uh, the scenarios we put ourselves through, you know, we got to have gear that can keep up. That's awesome. That's awesome. This is an important statement for up and comers. And for career folks that have been in the game a long time, because we work with a lot of people from all over, whether it's a sound guy all the way to DPs and gaffers, it's very important to have a tight kit, but it's also important that you are physically tight. I can't tell you how demanding shoots are getting now because there's more and more non-union stuff and there's more and more demand put on the volume of content that comes out. It's important that your kit, one, is ready to go, right? It has to be, that's why it goes back to brand and quality and everything, right? That's a very important thing. But any kind of backup cords, backup batteries, that is a huge, huge, huge asset for you to have. Someone who is prepared and ready to go in any situation. And then two, to be in shape, it is important, especially in the kind of productions that we do. You know, it's, you're always on your feet. You're always going. The conditions are extreme. I can't tell you how important it is to be able to hang in there. We, we were going up and down stairs at this last shoot we were in. It, it, it was in the desert, but so it was hot. But, you know, we had someone who couldn't do it anymore. And, and, and those little things put someone on a list where it's like, you know, we don't want to hire them anymore if they can't keep up. I don't know if this is good to say or not, but the reality of it is, is like being well-rounded in every aspect gives you that much more of an edge on all of your competition. So being in shape, having a good kit, having a great attitude, all of those play a huge, huge role in your desire to be hired again. I, th I think a big one is just flexibility. Just rolling with the punches, man, is huge. You know, not being stuck up and you're like, oh, well, I didn't know it was supposed to be like this or blah, blah, blah. You know, like just like Jeremy said, having a great attitude and just rolling with it and doing it and doing it well, you know. I mean, that goes so long. Yeah, 
having a great attitude really can't you can't say enough about it you know our 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 buddy Nick who was on an earlier podcast talked about it Dom talked about it you know the mentality that you have the attitude you have has such a huge impact on the quality of the work that you create on the quality of the people that surround you and on the quality of the clients you work with i mean that there's i don't think there's any better connection or any better like correlation be, between your own personal mentality and attitude as those those relationships that you cultivate in your work, uh, both both those people you surround yourself with as well as the the clients that you work with. So I think um, one common thing that happens, and, and it's a fine line, but I, I see a lot of people they come out of film school or they earn their stripes without going to film school, and, and they think they're they're uh, oftentimes I feel like people are too much of an artist. To, to optimize on good opportunities. And that's one thing that we've never been. We've never said we're too good for this or, or, or we're worth more. You know, I, 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 there's one quote that I read. It's like, F you pay me what I'm worth or whatever, you know, that they say for up and coming artists to, to have that mentality. Personally, I can't stand that mentality. Uh, you know, I, I'd be doing this for free, you know, and I think half the people here, do it because they love it. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't think, I mean, I think everyone here does it because they love it, you yeah. know? So the mentality of doing it for the money or getting paid what you're worth, that I think can become toxic inside of, of that constant progression of, of growth in the industry and opportunity and, and taking on new jobs and bigger things. I, I, those are the things that we've been fortunate enough has not clouded anyone's heads here or, have never been on the forefront of our mind. It's always one. How can we make this project better than the last project? Yeah, I love that. I think that that is really, really a great piece of of knowledge and a lesson that you guys have learned on how to set that balance between kind of creativity and to be good creatives, but also to be good entrepreneurs. We are creatives. We're working in a within a creative medium. However, that never trumps being a good company to work with, as well as uh, a good place to work, you know? Yeah. I think, it, you know, if you love the place you work, it's going to manifest itself in all parts of your life, right? It's going to, it's going to make it a joy to go to work. It's going to make it something that you're willing to sacrifice for, you know, whatever anyone gives us a compliment, they don't realize how much it's all about the team because I mean, everybody here plays such a pivotal role in that. And the mentality of everyone here is the same. And that is really rare with what 13 people to have the same mentality of constantly pushing the limits, constantly sacrificing, constantly trying to improve themselves. I mean, I say this all the time. I don't think by any means I'm the best director. I don't think by any means I'm the best entrepreneur. I don't think by any means anybody out there. I, well, I think a lot of them are the best, but there's a lot of people that are really, really good. But the difference is, is how they use it and how they work in a team. Our team collectively is just so strong and so well-oiled and so sacrificial that it just separates us from the herd, I feel, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, that reminds me of um, that quote from, and I'm, I'm going to, I don't know the quote directly, exactly, you know, so I'd be paraphrasing, but what Conor McGregor says about like his level, he's, this is one of the most successful fighters 
in the history of the UFC in organized sports. I mean, when the number of titles he's won and how he's won them and what he says about uh, his ability. I mean, maybe you know it better than I do. Uh, is it the one where he said he doesn't believe in talent? Right, exactly. It's just all hard work. And, you know, that's the funny thing is because everyone – we recruited everyone from Virginia Beach. We live in a place that we love. We work with the people that we love, and we work harder than anyone else. And that's the reality. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that are that are really good. There's a lot of people that have good resources. There's a lot of people that live in Southern California. There's a lot of people that – have a lot of money and there's a lot of people with a lot of edges, but nobody's going to work harder. Nobody's going to have the same mindset as us and nobody's going to sacrifice like we will. There's just not. And, and that's the separation. Um, and I think it shows. Yeah, no, I think it does too. So you don't always start doing the exact work that you want to do, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and as time goes, you, you work really hard and you put out great work consistently and and slowly you begin to begin to work with amazing clients and it's like that idea of the gap you know they talk they talk about the gap is where like you recognize that you're not quite there you know there's a space between where you're doing the work but you recognize you haven't quite quite arrived and is there that moment or that job where you're like wow we are doing the work that we set out to do in the beginning i think um while danny ponders i think that it's one of those things, again, you know, I, I truly feel like, especially from the beginning, I'll never forget, I, there, there was a music video we won uh, a bid for, and it had a small budget, but I, I paid to have a alleyway built, a car wrecked, exploded. Like, at that point, that was what I dreamed of, you know, and, and I was, I, I, at that, at the, I was, I had a passion for music videos and I got to wreck a car and blow it up. And I was living my dream, you know, and, and it was, man, I love doing this music video. And then we got to do an opportunity to do some outdoor stuff. And then I'm like, man, I love outdoor. We're traveling the world. We're going to these crazy places. We're experiencing these things. And then that evolved into a tactical thing. And then I'm like, man, we get to work with these dudes that are shooting guns, blowing things up, riding fast in cars, heroes, real heroes. And then we started working in another industry and and that dream continues to evolve. It's a mentality that's applied for each one. I went in to pay our rent when I was, when we first got this place, the compound here. And I went in to pay our rent and I saw the owner and I I went in to shake his hand and ask how he was. and, And he looked at me and he goes, Nobody wins the rat race, Jeremy. Nobody. And I was like, what the heck is he talking about? You know, I just don't feel like when you're really doing what you love and you're constantly pushing it, you're ever in that rat race, you know? And so, so the, that actualization of things coming to fruition is every day, you know? And, and that is a mentality that I think you have to have um, and you constantly have to go for more. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, looking back, I can think of like little accomplishments or little baby steps towards growth. You know, I think when we first started off, uh, we went into Best Buy and bought the display model of a 7D, you know, and that was our first camera starting off, which I still believe that camera will survive the nuclear holocaust. But, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, sometime later, I'll never forget when we first bought our first Red, 
And that to me was just like, wow, like we have our own red camera, you know? And then just, you know, going from there and just growing, you know? Um, I know we're being this down, but, you know, we wouldn't be where we are today without the team, you know? Um, and just the mindset that everyone has here and just how everyone is on the same page, it's just incredible, you know? And it's kind of cool because, like, Everyone has the same mentality for growth, but I feel like personally, everyone has their own personal goals as well, too, that is collectively ironclad as well, you know, whether it's like technical or whatever, you know, I mean, it's just, it is pretty amazing. But I think overall, to sum it up, everyone wants the piece or whatever it is we're working on to be not only good, but to be the best. And that's what I love, you know, like, I don't know how many times any one of us have stayed after hours, not because we had to, but, but, but because we wanted to, you know, like we want, whatever it is, is going to go out is going to be good, you know, and to be the best. And so whatever it is we got to do, whatever we got to dive extra resources, time, energy, whatever, you know, like I, I'm all about whatever is going to go out of here. It has to be good, has to be different. And, you know, something that I'm proud to show somebody. We're we're busy as all get out, and there's just so much incredible and amazing stuff that's coming up. Um, some incredible work we did in 2017, some incredible work that's already on the books for 2018. But what's the message you have for the other people in the industry or other entrepreneurs, other other creatives? What are some of the things that you would say to them as they're starting out or if they're you know in the throes of their first couple of years or they're creating and they're sort of feeling stuck or feeling you know, looking for just the next edge, um, what, what would be some of the things you would say to them? I mean, off the top of my head, I know first starting off, I mean, a good mentality to have, and I know we lived this by when we first started off is the whole acronym KISS, you know, keep it simple, stupid. You know, there's nothing wrong with keeping things clean, simple, and good when you're first starting off. I mean, even till today, you know, um, especially if you're first starting off, you have limited resources, budget, whatever, you know, like there's nothing wrong with keeping the mentality. How can I keep this simple? You know? And that goes a long way. And your resources go a lot farther when you, when mm -hmm. you keep everything streamlined and simple, you got to have the mindset of like, nothing is ever good enough, you know, or like whatever it is you're working on or doing like, don't ever fall into that trap of this is good enough. Let me just get this out. It can be a frustrating thing at times, but one thing that really drives me and seeing other projects that are out there is not how can I make this as good as that, but how can I make it better? How can I make it different? You know, how can I make this stand alone? And at the end of the day, no matter what project or who the client is or what it's for, if the piece makes you feel something in whatever aspect that looks like, then I, then I feel like you've accomplished your goal. Yeah, I think that's good. I think, um, you know, we're living in a unique era of content and filmmaking, just like when I was at the right place at the right time with social media and all that stuff. Like, this is a ground shift in the demand for content, right? We've become a consumer world of content. And so, you know, I think oftentimes people would get stuck in client work or they would get stuck in whatever it was that was paying their bills and then they'd get stuck in a rat race and they couldn't jump to one from one to another. I think right now we live in a time where 
client work can become original content and original content can have multiple different outlets and you can still be a true filmmaker and, and, and achieve things that you never thought you could achieve and create projects you never thought you could create with combining different resources. And I think the biggest thing for a lot of creatives is, you know, I'll go back to what Ryan, someone on our team says is paralysis by analysis, right? And it's, um, you know, you're overthinking things and you just overthink to the point where you don't execute. And maybe that's by starting your project or maybe that's by pushing the limits on a project or, or oh man, if I only had a red then I could shoot this. But since I only have a 7D, I'm just stuck. Like, like Danny said, a 7D is what built us. I think the biggest advice I would give is to just make it happen. You know, there's, there's nothing that is stopping anyone right now from making it happen. And, and, and like I said, it's not just applying to client work. This is applying to your passions and achieving greatness. You can go to Best Buy and become a filmmaker for $1,500 and make great content. So if you have a passion for filmmaking and create great content, you can do it. What's, that, the, what's that Dom quote? It's the patent one. A plan violently executed today is better than a well-planned plan executed next week or something along right, those lines, yeah. where essentially is make it happen and commit. You know, if you commit everything, like I said, you can bring it all the way from the, the grassroots level filmmaker who's just getting started all the way to the full scale, someone who's stuck in client work or someone who is doing features. The reality of it is, is the rat race is real and you can get stuck in it. And what one day was your dream can become your nightmare by doing the same thing over and over and over and over. It is our responsibility to constantly evaluate ourselves and evaluate our, our desires, our passions, our dreams. And violently execute a plan to make them happen. And it's what I owe to our team every day. It's what we owe as ironclad to our clients and to our original content that's going out. It's to constantly evaluate and execute. And, and that is the biggest thing that I think people in general, but ultimately creatives sometimes lack that initiative to jump. Yeah. And I think that kind of connects back to this the concept of like having the right balance between creativity and just what it's going to take to get the job off the ground and for it to be good you know you can get so caught up in that you know there's the technology or you know a host of other things but the reality is is that as you said there's there's no there's no time like the present there's no there's never been a demand like the present and there's never been the capacity to create like the present and so they're you know it's only really you in the way of really uh stepping up your game and and connecting great content with with the world yeah i mean because to that point times are changing whether we like it or not right and there's going to be more crappy filmmakers coming out to offer things for cheaper or easier for client-based work. And then there's more people going into original content that are going to be competing and, and have outlets like Netflix, YouTube, and other things for feature filmmakers. Bottom line is the market is growing. Therefore, the saturation will grow. Therefore, the competition and budgets will shrink, right? So you have to constantly add to your arsenal of what you can do and how you execute it. I mean, that that's a big thing because 
no matter what aspect you play inside of this world, inside of the world of, of filmmaking, there is going to be added competition now, which in my opinion allows the cream to rise. You know, I, I, I enjoy that, that, that saturated market. However, if people aren't willing to adapt, they're going to feel it. Beautiful. It's the truth though. You know, I mean, and, and it's the truth. Even we, we see this with, with, career DPs we work with, right? They're feeling the squeeze. You know, you have to invest in your gear. You have to invest in your trade. You have to constantly get better because there are young guns coming up that are great. Mm -hmm. They are great. And they have access to filmmaking earlier and they're developing, but there's also a lot of sloppy ones coming up. So that helps, right? That helps with the good ones. But the reality of it is it's becoming more accessible. It's allowing more people to get into the craft and you can use that as an asset or you can use that as a crutch. And, and the, the fact is, is, is no matter where you play in this, in this realm, I know some incredible freelancers, but our freelance list went from having two go-tos to having 10 go-tos within 24 months, you know, and because we've, there's that many more and they're getting competitive with pricing. Their gear is great. It's just, it's, it's a reality. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, there's film school on YouTube right now. I mean, everything that you want to learn, I mean, is out there. But, but you know, like to that point, nothing is going to replace the actual work, right? So like Danny and I both went to film school. We both advocate against film school for the most part. <laughs> but it's because what you get out of hard-earned learning – and making mistakes and building a portfolio, in my opinion, is more valuable. But some people are better at the other thing. So, you know, you can do whatever. However, the floodgates have opened. People are coming in. It's going to make a lot more crappy work, which is not good. But it allows for the good guys and girls to go to the top, right? So, like, you can sit and complain or you can adapt. Yeah, I don't know if we want to add this, but... I mean, we hired a few guys here that had close to zero experience. And just having that and kind of molding them to where they are today, I mean, it is insanity. I mean, Kevin, our Movi tech, like, there's really no one else I want to, I want out there operating Movi other than Kevin. You know, I mean, it's just incredible. He how, was an intern at a local go. college, yeah. out of a local college here. Mm-hmm. No formal filmmaking experience, anything. Same with Noah, who's now uh, an up-and-coming DP for us. And, and, and these are just small examples of what's happening in the world right now. You know, there's people that are volunteering at their church that are getting mm-hmm. really good. Or start as an intern, as a marketing intern, and someone says, start making product videos. And they're self-taught, and they become incredible. Yeah. And then they branch out and do their own work. They do client work. They do feature work. They're good. So... You know, it's our job as, as a as a brand to constantly improve in every single touch point we have with clients to to improve with our filmmaking, to improve with our technology, to improve with our training. You know, every freelancer, filmmaker, agency out there is their job to get better uh, because the good ones are coming, mm-hmm. and the market is getting to the point now where things are very accessible. And it makes sense for people to bring things in house or not go with, with a VV and they can go with a Sony a7S because it's a web video. So there's just, there's things that will water down the market and it aren't necessarily 
on on surface value aren't great, right? Like the degradation of quality and the quick turn mentality and the who can do it cheapest mentality. But anyone in any industry has to use that as an asset instead of saying, man, they're they're killing it. They're ruining things for everyone. They need to adapt and become better because of those things. Take those as opportunities rather than weaknesses. For the young and upcoming cinematographer, creative, you know, one of the things that you've, one of the things I think is really important that you've, you've shared is just the kind of go out and do it today. Go and, and do the work. What, what would you say about when they're connecting with clients when it comes to their portfolio? What, what do you think that clients are looking for and adjust their portfolio to better reach and connect with clients? Well, you know, it depends on who your client is, right? Is your, if your client is, well, this is across the board. More freelancers and up and comers are doing hybrid work, right? They're working for filmmakers, they're working for uh, agencies, they're working direct to brand, they're doing a lot of different things. So I think the first thing you have to have a portfolio, put your work together and make work happen. Take work and make work. Like if you're not having a job, go out and shoot something. And if you don't, and if, and if you get a job offer and it's even for a hundred dollars, take it. You have to build the experience. You have to build working with teams. You have to build the portfolio. I mean, it's worth paying for that experience. You know, you don't get that in film school. So I would say build your portfolio, keep it curated and simple and have social media be a priority for you. You know, I mean, we get applications probably four a week here for shooters or editors. And most of them come through our website or through Instagram. Both of those are, are powerful tools. Anything on those are going to be, you're going to be judged on. It's not going to be judged on what film school did you go to? It's going to be, what does their work look like? Let's see it. Who have they worked with? And, and then it goes into reference and character and everything else. But that first initial face value is portfolio. That's it. Yeah, I'm mean, going to go back to what you said. I mean, if you're starting off and don't have any clients or anything, just go out and shoot stuff, you know. I mean, I can't I can't understand like how important that is. Like it doesn't matter what it is you're shooting, just go out and shoot stuff, put it together, you know, and don't be afraid to go out to local mom and pop shops, anything really and ask them if they want a video, you know. I mean, that's what that's what you did. Yeah. It adds legitimacy. It lets people know wow, that looks good. And, oh, they've worked with someone, right? Like mm -hmm. if it's someone who's young and hasn't had much work, you don't know how they're going to react to high stress situations. You don't know how they're going to react to working in a team, any of those types of things. But if you can show portfolio work, even like Danny said, if it's with a mom and pop store, make it great first. And then if you're going to show it, don't show it if it sucks. Don't put it on your portfolio. But if it's great, put it on your portfolio. And then at least we know, or your future employer or director or producer, whoever's going to, to day rate you, knows that you know how to work with people. That's a big deal. There's a lot of great people out there, and it really comes down to how they work on set and what they expect of themselves because a lot of people just expect those one little thing. Like I said, it's either, well, my work is good or... I got the right equipment or any of those things. You have to have it all. Once again, thanks you all for listening to this episode of the Ironclad Podcast. To listen to previous episodes, you can go to our website at thisisironclad.com or 
find us on iTunes at Ironclad Podcast. And of course, don't forget to comment, rate, subscribe, and follow us on our Instagram at This Is Ironclad. And of course, check out more of our work at ThisIsIronclad.com. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.